A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, this is The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. It was a weekend when we saw the glorious side of our great game as the European semi-finals served up some moments to savour, not least for the Exeter Chiefs who's reached their first ever Champions Cup final. But it was also a weekend when the sport stared over the cliff edge and faced up to the reality of many more months of empty stadiums and financial hardship. If the ban on fans lasts until the spring and the Six Nations is played behind closed doors, will the very existence of professional rugby be called into question. I'm Lawrence Delalio, and to help me come up with the answers to that impossible question, I'm joined by Stephen Jones and Owen Slot. Gentlemen, good morning to you both. Seems a tragedy, well it is a tragedy, that on the uh, morning after the one most glorious weekend of, of European Cup action, we, we have to start the, uh, the podcast with the financial Armageddon. And I guess the, um, you know, Jonesy, you wrote a, a, a very strong piece in the Sunday Times, the, the Premiership Rugby and the RFU have asked the government for help after it was announced that fans would no longer be back into the grounds from October. I mean, just just tell tell our listeners exactly how serious this uh, this whole matter is right now. I think we've always thought, ever since the Premiership began, Lawrence, as, as you know well, we've always thought, oh, blimey, it's in trouble and it's losing money. But then, really, in your heart, you thought, well, actually, they're going to get through this. This time, I'm really not so sure... And you're so right to say what a weekend of an ultra high and ultra low it was. Ringing round, as I'm sure Owen has, ringing round the clubs and um, finding a real determination and a togetherness. That was interesting. Peter Tom of Leicester told me that the clubs are all battling it together. That was good. But the numbers are frightening. I mean, we've heard a lot from Bill Sweeney about Twickenham and the millions that they uh, are losing in income. Clubs are the same. Peter Tom told me that just to uh, ensure the future of the Premiership alone. They would want £100 million from the government. Also, Boris didn't seem to be that keen when he was asked last week. He really um, pushed the whole issue to one side. So this time, international and club level, you are talking about the possibility of losing clubs. And imagine, as I said on Sunday, imagine a stadium deserted and not used and tumbling down. That would... That image is just dreadful. The sight of, of some of these games that we've just seen across the weekend taking place, you know, without fans in itself is is tragic enough. But, um, you know, the, the thought that, um, that that might lead to, to some of these clubs having to uh, to go under is, uh, is is even worse. I mean, the Autumn Internationals, Owen, will, will almost certainly now be behind closed doors um, as plans to play in front of 
20,000 fans obviously have now been shelved completely by, by the RFU. The RFU themselves are, are, are now under some serious, serious financial pressures. And they're the kind of, they're the mouth that feeds the rugby clubs anyway. Yeah, I, there's, there's so much to be played out on this. One player that we haven't heard from because we never do is, is CVC. They bought, was it 280 million or something into uh, club rugby uh, a, a year and a half ago? Uh, they're not going to sit and let that, uh, that wither on the vine. They also want to buy into international rugby. So I mean, I'm not saying that's good news, but I, I'm saying that there's, a, there's some form of a solution there. I mean, talking to some of the clubs last week, so, well, isn't, isn't a solution that CVC would come and buy a, a bigger shareholding? Then you, therefore, you get, you get more money and they get to prop it up a bit more. And, and they go, well, yeah, that's fine. But then at the end of this, how much do, of our own clubs do we still own at the end of it? And then, and then we've lost control. And then, and, then, and then what's left at the end of that? So... That, that's an interesting side of this game. And, but then, as you say, autumn at Twickenham, I don't know. It, it, of, of all the games that I've gone to, the, the Aviva was the worst, as in one of the best games, but the, but the biggest shame to have no crowds because it it's, it's that colossal international stadium and it, and it, it needs people there. The, going to Gloucester and, and Northampton, etc., was... I kind of kind of got used to it. It's obviously not the same, but I can't imagine the, the international game without a crowd. The nightmare scenario of, of supporters being locked out of potentially the Six Nations. I mean, just just give our listeners an idea of what what, what that means financially to the RFU uh, and the and the other unions if they suffer, you know, that, that, those kind of losses. Well, first of all, you're talking about like sort of in the region of 160 million, Lawrence. And not only that, but I mean, it, it kind of affects everybody. I mean, the, the great public out there who watch the Six Nations and love their rugby because of the Six Nations, you know, they, they'll be there watching and, and, and they will feel the lack of crowds as well. Owen says that, uh, that the Dublin crowd for him was the day he felt the worst about not having people. Well, Exeter, for me, was ghastly because when that final whistle blew, the whole of, of Devon, the whole of Exeter would have risen to its feet and, and it would have been the biggest party ever, but it was just none of that. So international Six Nations really, is it, 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 it is a skeleton tournament. Um, uh, it is a, a, a debased Six Nations without fans there. And that's not just from the financial point of view, it's from the point of view of passion and spectacle, and we all we all know that. And I mean, I guess the uh, the worry for the players again is is you know they've already taken substantial pay cuts, and they you know a lot of them understand the reasons why that has to be done. But I guess the costs are not going away. You know, rugby clubs you know outgoings are not going away. But but if uh, if there's no revenue coming in, there's no money to pay um, to pay their players, to pay their you know support staff, to pay anyone. So I mean, you know, this is the reality, isn't it? Lawrence, one of the chairmen mm-hmm. said to me that he thought that next season might have to be mothballed. He says, if we, if we can't get spectators in, then yeah. we can't get income. And if we can't get income, then we literally can't afford to pay the players. He said, maybe the players would, would just have to go on, on leave for six months or something and, or until, until we can get this on properly. Uh, yeah, and I noticed there's one or two other... I mean, Stephen Bourne came out very publicly and, and, and made a couple of statements. And, you know, a couple of the owners of, of um, Bruce Craig, is, I think, was... Uh, from Bath has suggested that at least two clubs could um, could could go to the wall. You know, a few chairmen have said a few things. The, the players haven't said too much. They've remained tight-lipped because they're obviously right in the middle of, of trying to finish the uh, European and, and domestic season. But it's uh, deeply, deeply worrying. And uh, Jonesy, you said the government have, uh, have remained quite tight-lipped on it so far. 
Well, when uh, the, uh, Johnson was asked about sport um, and, and, and bailing it out, he really didn't seize on it with any enthusiasm at all. The sports minister, um, to be fair to her, she, she, she said, you know, we, we must act in this. But, uh, you know, the, the numbers are vast in rugby. I guess that when you uh, add up all the money that all the sports would love, you get something that's astronomical. You'd have to print it on a printing machine. But I, I do think that rugby is a special case because of its community-based stuff. All those clubs out there, all over the country, uh, and you know, we saw East Grinstead where the, they lost their coach in that horrible incident, uh, uh, um, shooting incident. And you just think, blimey, these communities, they do have, uh, the clubs have a huge part in it. So do the communities around the, the <coughs> premiership clubs. And you really do think that the nation will lose a heck of a lot if rugby clubs start closing. And Owen, you said mothball. What a horrible sort of uh, twilight that would be. So I, I just hope they find something. Uh, Peter Tom was saying to me on the weekend, I said, look, would you go back to CVC? And he said, I, I want this club to be there in 40 and 20 years' time. He said, and I will do whatever it takes for, for that to happen. What do you think of the ban on fans, which is, something we can discuss now. So we, I think everyone has found during coronavirus that the fact that we all have opinions, but um, we're slightly wary or nervous of criticising government edicts, or whatever, because they know the science better than we do, etc. But it appears to me increasingly clear that getting a thousand fans into Bath on Tuesday evening would have been safe. They could have been three metres apart. They would have been outside wearing masks. And as, as Bruce Craig said, the, that what probably happened was a lot of them ended up going into uh, going into Bath and watching the game on a TV in the pub or something like that, or, mm-hmm. or, or or just going out to pubs, going out to shops, sitting outside in a stadium, in a stadium which is very properly policed. Is is short? Do you think that we we as a sporter, as journalists, do you think now is the time to be to be putting pressure on on revisiting that um that decision? Well, I think uh, it's an interesting question you posed there. I mean, Jack Knoll tweeted, you know, something like "Enough is enough." Fans should be able to choose whether they go want to go to stadiums, and if they if they feel comfortable, they stay. If they don't, they go. You know, and um, I mean, it's quite a dramatic tweet, really, and picked up by a lot of people. But the reality is, at some point, the government are going to have to say to sport, or one of the options available is to pass on the responsibility to the governing bodies, to the, each individual clubs, to, to create a safe environment. They're comfortable doing that to supermarkets because um, we've all got to go and eat to survive. So uh, they haven't closed supermarkets down yet. And you go there and there's hundreds of people in, in the supermarket, but it's deemed to be a safe environment. Now, you know, you make a choice. Do you go to that supermarket or don't you? Rugby and sport is the lifeblood of, of society. And, and, we, and we do, and believe it or not, it's, it's not quite it's not quite food, but we do need it to survive. So at some point, mm-hmm. the government have to uh, pass the responsibility on to the various clubs and governing bodies and say, if you can create a safe environment following these you know guidelines, then by all means, you can open your stadiums to a set number of fans. Um, and then it's the choice of the fans whether they want to go. Uh, at the moment... We're all having to make decisions in our everyday life and uh, there's a bit of risk involved in all of them. There's, the reality of corona is that the, the indirect costs are now starting to exceed the direct costs of this, uh, of this mm. particular crisis. And, uh, and at some point, we're all going to have to make decisions. And if the government don't make those for us, and they're not making them particularly well at the moment, I don't think, then, uh, or with any consistency, then what you'll find is that as a country, as a nation, as a group, that they're going to start making those decisions themselves. 
Lawrence, can I just make one further point on that? Um, if anyone thinks out in the country or the government that the rugby clubs are being cavalier about this, they'd be completely wrong. I mean, the, the, the Exeter on Saturday was meticulously safe. And in fact, in the end, it's of God. Why have I got to walk all the way down the steps to come all the way back up the other end sort of thing? That's how safe it was. And I think they deserve the chance to review the games where there were a thousand, try and make sure there were no too, not too many cases of, of, of the virus spreading, and then go up to 1,500 and try and do it that way. Because I think the clubs, if you give them the responsibility, I think they can discharge it. And we could try 2,000 and then a little bit more while monitoring every all the way. And I do think now it's time to give the clubs a little bit more responsibility. Just on um, on Jones's point about that, could the clubs be given responsibility? I mean, we've had a couple of pilot games, which is uh, effectively test events to see if, if this would work. So w- what we really need is to find out what happened from that Harlequins game, which is now two weeks ago. Exactly. Uh, you know, they did it the, the, the biosecure way. How many people caught corona, coronavirus on the back of going to that game? That's what we need to know. And if it was zero, which I would strongly suspect it was, then that's a strong argument for the fact that rugby can, uh, can look after itself. I don't think any of our listeners will disagree with that. But uh, I think the problem the government have got is that on the one hand, they're telling people to stay at home and to, uh, you know, they're, they're bringing in tighter restrictions on lockdown in cities and, and places around the country. And on the other hand, they're saying, well, sport, you go ahead and, and, and do, you know, directly the opposite. You know, if you can only have six people in, in, in your own home or you can only mix with one other bubble, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even sure I fully know exactly what you can and can't do at the moment because uh, the picture keeps changing every single day. But, but as you say, at some point, the decision they've got to make is <laughs> we either give you a lot more money, which we don't have, and we've got to go to a printing machine and find it, or we give you a bit more autonomy to make those decisions for yourselves around safety. And let's hope it's, uh, uh, let's hope it's a bit of both, actually, quite frankly. Sure. Should we talk about some rugby? Because that's what we really want to do. I mean, it, you know, again, I, I will say that it, it was a travesty that one of the greatest weekends that you could ever possibly hope to have on a rugby field was tainted by the fact that we didn't have any supporters to celebrate it. Exeter beat the four-time winners to lose to reach their first ever Champions Cup final. I mean, I mean, it's just an, the most extraordinary journey from, from Exeter Chiefs. You know, they, they thoroughly deserve their, their victory. Four tries to two against, uh, you know, one of the... Uh, one of the most dangerous sides that plays club rugby. You were there, Jonesy. What, what, what was your? What, I mean, what's your whole impression of uh, of Rob Baxter and the achievement that, that he's created by getting Exeter to their first final? It's it's almost unbelievable. You know, with it, whatever they set out to do, Lawrence, they seem to achieve it. I mean, they're in Devon two, and they say, "Oh, look, we're going to try and get up to Devon one," and they do it. Then they say, "We're going to we're aiming for the championship." I mean, it's not been a a smooth path. They've had a few ups and downs, but they get to the championship. Then they say, we want to stay in the premiership. Then they say, we want to top four. Then they say they want to win it. Now this time they said categorically at the start of the season, it's about time we did ourselves justice in Europe and they targeted Europe. And I'll tell you what, on, on Saturday, in my opinion, it was the best I'd ever seen them play because any for anyone who thinks that Toulouse at the moment are not a great side themselves is, is wrong. But Toulouse were played to a standstill. The second half was one-sided. And some of those guys, I mean, I, I, people like Alec Hepburn, Harry Williams, who've been promising for probably a bit too long, were absolutely immense. Johnny Hill was fantastic. Johnny Gray, who 
we've I've always had question marks about was, was excellent, but the whole team, the the way they were, you mentioned Rob Baxter, the the whole team, the way they were set up to play, and he came in afterwards, and, and we said, "Blimey, he was so good at defence." He said, "What we had to do was not let them build up round the round the fringes, not let them keep the ball in the air and drive it. We had to chop tackle them, and they did. I mean, the, the, the chop tackling round the fringes was sensational." And I, I get the impression that they can win the final. In fact, I'm sure they can win the final. They got so much conviction, and they look to me a truly great team. And Owen, when you when we talk about Exeter Chiefs over the last few years, I mean they've made four consecutive Premiership finals. They've, they've won one in 2017, I think it was, and now they're now they're on the verge of probably making another Premiership final, and and they're in the European final. They've always been looked at as a team that aren't full of stars, but. But actually, that's wrong. They are full of stars. And, I mean, in Joe and Sam Simmons, they've got one family of stars there. How much longer can Eddie Jones continually choose to, um, to ignore the, uh, the claims of some of this? I mean, I, I know we've had Luke Cowan-Dickney and Henry Slade in the, in the squad, but, but surely there's got to be one or two guys now forcing their way into, uh, into this England squad, you know, whenever that might be announced. I suppose that would seem logical. I, I think Sam Simmons is a is a an outstanding Premiership player, and I, he needs the he he's earned the opportunity to show it again in international rugby. But, yeah. but when, when he had his brief bit in international rugby, which was two years ago now, he, he looked how Eddie Jones feared he might, which was a really good Premiership back rower who was slightly too light for a, for the international game because he plays a, a fast ball carrying number eight game and. And I don't think it quite worked to that level. But he, he deserves another chance. We discussed Joe Simmons on here about four weeks ago when we were discussing Marcus Smith and Jacob Umaga as the next generation of England 10s. I thought Joe was outstanding um, on Saturday. Uh, he'd be stupid if he hadn't come to that conclusion. I still don't feel I've seen... I, I'm not as wowed by him as I was when George Ford was coming through at the same age. And I, and I know players develop at, at different rates, but I I, I think I'm sure I'm sure will be knocking on the door and giving a chance soon. But I just I just feel slightly wary of, of, of getting on that bandwagon. And go, yeah, yeah. They're, they're the I'll, I'll get on the bandwagon then. So yeah. Joe Simmons for me was an absolute <laughs> revelation on and off the field. I thought he played beautifully. He kicked beautifully. But don't forget. He's a young man, but they've made him captain of this side. On the field, he was, he, I just thought he was brilliant. He p- picked his moments. Tactically, he was good. Off the field, he spoke like a, vet- a veteran. He spoke yeah. magnificently about the club and the fans not being there and all that. And I had Joe just ahead uh, in terms of the uh, leading contenders after Owen Farrell and George Ford, great players themselves. And now I've definitely got him in, in, in third place, well ahead of the others, probably just ahead of Jacob. But um, I just think he's an unbelievably impressive bloke. From a Sam Simmons perspective, I mean, I'm not sure how much more you can do other than be named man of the match in, in the semi-final of the European <laughs> Cup. I mean, uh, you know, if that's not an international game, I don't know what is. Because, uh, you know, most of the Toulouse players, they're French champions. They're, they're, they're stacked full of internationals. He's going to be playing against quite a few guys that... He would play against um, uh, an international level, and if, if George Furbank's ready for international rugby, then Sam Simmons was at least four years ago. <laughs> and number eight is a position that you know I'll probably get criticised for saying it. I don't think we've got a lot of options. I think the the, the biggest option is 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 a world class player who's not playing particularly well at the moment for some reason. You can't continue to put 
square pegs into round holes with uh, with Ben Earl and you know Lewis Ludlam at number eight. You've got to pick a guy who week in week out is showing himself to be better than any other player, not just in the country but actually now in Europe. So uh, anyway, that's that's not for me to decide. That's for Eddie Jones to decide. And I'm sure he, you know, in fairness to him, he has been at nearly every game that's been on. He's got a very very good idea of. Um, of what's of what's going on, and there hasn't been spectacular rugby all the way throughout, but certainly last weekend was a complete exception. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps to Detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So we'll get on to what we think Exeter's chances are in a little bit. The other semi-final, I mean, it, you know, Saracens failed in their sort of fairy tale finish to the season, losing a very tight contest in uh, in Paris in La Défense Arena to to, to Racing. And I, I, I guess Jonesy, after the uh, unbelievable height that they scaled the weekend before in Dublin to beat Leinster, and I mean that performance was was one of the great European performances. Really, mm-hmm. probably didn't feel that great because there was no fans there but I think all of us would say that it was great and will certainly live long in the memory was it a surprise that they couldn't quite hang on in there you you just felt that this was a Saracens team I mean their European journey has been extraordinary I think that was the seventh or they've won seven out of eight consecutive semi-finals in Europe um, and they were just pipped to the post by a, a wonderful piece of skill from Finn Russell I think we all knew Lawrence that if it came down to the bench then they would be struggling because they just didn't have the experience there. And um, they lost Duncan Taylor re- really early, and, but then they lost Barrett as well towards the end. And I just don't think they had the, uh, the, the, the depth or the quality with, with, with respect. And to ask them to go, the starting 15, to go deep and deep into the game yeah. against Racing was, was a tough one. At one stage, there was only five minutes to go. And normally you would have thought, well, they're going to hang on easily. But there was something in me with the thought, hang on, they're just slightly dishevelled now and they're not going to hang on. And I wasn't surprised when Racing scored, but they did themselves so, so much honour with the way with the way they played. And, uh, 
you know, it would have been nice for Barrett and Wigglesworth and the ones that, who were going to stay in the final. But uh, it's been a great run. But in the end, you know, the, 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 the huge changes uh, the guys who were away uh, did for them. We talk about an end of an era. In fact, Mark McCall himself talked about it as the end of an era. They'd rather hope that that era would have finished uh, in about three weeks' time. But, but it's come a little bit earlier than that. With, with everything that's happened this year with Saracens and, and the salary cap and, and, and all the off-field issues, let's just put that to one side, if we can, for a second. Just sum up the dynasty that they've created, both as coaches and players, because it's been it's been un- unbelievable. I mean, we talked about, certainly in, in, in our time in, in rugby, we've had the, the great Bath sides, we've had the great Leicester sides that have dominated you know, European rugby and, and, and domestic rugby. Uh, Wasp briefly for for three years had a, had a bit of a crack at it, but but this Saracen thing's gone on for for a long long time now, and there's probably an, a few individuals that deserve an enormous amount of credit for for what they've achieved. They have been amazing. They've been a, an incredible story to follow, and um, their achievements are as unparalleled as as good as any other um, English club. I'll answer you by by reading out. Um, I don't know if anyone saw Clive Woodward's reflections in the Daily Mail this morning. We try to avoid them, really, but yes, go. Okay. Well, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting talking point, and, and I don't agree with it. But but he was saying that was a, a great era. But he hopes that English rugby changes now. He says, for too long we have slavishly imitated the Saracens' way. The Saracens' approach was high-intensity, risk-averse rugby, but their approach has been limited, especially their only use of the, of the box kick. Uh, it is such slow, stifling, negative, boring predictable and diminishes the game it will kill rugby as a spectacle as a spectacle if we don't wean ourselves off it i mean that's not opinion that was left on the fence anywhere is it <laughs> now, did he name the teams that don't play low risk rugby the chaps woody a professional rugby coach in a professional era he's talking total and utter twaddle in the professional game you're trying to win a rugby match to do that you can play warren ball whatever that was if you think that's going to win it for you, you can play however Saris do, and Saris have played some excellent rugby uh, over the years. You can do what Exeter do. They take the ball within five yards, and then after 55 phases, they manage to get it over the line. You can do whatever it takes, because the idea that you go out there to entertain before you play, before you win, is sheer nonsense. So let's dismiss that for a start. And most of the teams who win well, like Wales when they were under Warren and Exeter now, people just get pissed off because they lost to them. It's just, it's just pure rubbish. You, you do whatever it takes with your skills you've got. And actually, most of the teams, like Exeter, for instance, they played some of the most delightful back play I've seen for years on, on Saturday against a team which included Colby, Aki, Uge, Jutun and Thomas Ramos. And they were the better team. Henry Slade was genius. Woody, my dear friend, I'll go around his house and cook him and tell him off. Yeah, and I think you add layers to, to your game, don't you? You know, Saracen started their, their journey with, uh, with quite a pragmatic exit strategy from their own 22. There were certain things, there were certain rules that they would, they would adhere to in certain parts of the field. And, and then as they started to win and they, and they started to expand themselves and maybe add one or two players to their squad, they're able to play in a different way. Exeter, if you look at them, you know, quite agree with you, Jonesy. I don't think there's a better side when they get in the, in the opposition 22. <clears throat> now, there's a lot of people like Clyde that might, in a year or two's time, disagree with, with the pick-and-go game around the corner. And, and, but, but actually, some of the first-phase tries that Exeter have scored this season by adding the likes of Stuart Hogg 
uh, and one or two others to their squad have been things of beauty. So, uh, you know, to suggest that they're, that they're a team that can only play in one way is, is, is utter nonsense. But equally, Racing slotty, do you, I mean, do you think they've got what it takes to, to go and challenge Exeter in this final now? And, or do you think that Exeter, this fairy tale is going to continue? Yeah, I think it's a brilliant final because you could, you could make a great case for both teams winning. Racing, as you say, they, they, that game, they seem to drift through without ever quite getting their teeth into it properly. And then, but they, they have the players and they have um, a 10 who can just turn a game with a little bit of genius, as we saw at the end. So they can do that. I mean, Abaka Tower is an extraordinarily great player, isn't he? Yeah. And, 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 you know, a, another compliment to Saracens is that he kept him so quiet for, uh, for almost all that game. And that, that's what Saracens did is they managed, managed to shut down Racing's chief threat. So Exeter would have, would have, would have seen that. I, th- I think Rob Baxter said this over the years that Exeter have sort of grown up in the Premiership, but keep on going into Europe and still feel like their kids got gone to big school. I, I don't think they feel remotely overwhelmed anymore and uh, well, they can't possibly have having done what they did to Toulouse. So, They'll go into that game thinking that they can win it. If we're doing looking into in, in, into the crystal ball, I, I'd say um, Exeter would win that European final, but then uh, they, then go and lose the Premiership final the week after because they'll have had three massive European games to have played their way through. While say Sale or uh, Wasp or Bath will have been um, just putting their feet up and getting ready for the final. So I think Exeter's the, the task facing Exeter to do the double is just phenomenal and probably too far, but it'll be absolutely brilliant to watch. We must talk about the uh, Challenge Cup, Bristol Bears. I mean, I wasn't there, Owen. I don't know if you managed to uh, to see the game, but they put on a real show against uh, Bordeaux Begler uh, and will now face probably a quite a tough assignment against Toulon in the final of the Challenge Cup. Toulon, of course, beating a, um, a pretty disappointing Leicester Tigers, not team, but a Leicester Tigers performance they didn't quite go and execute the game plan that they wanted. But Bristol have been another sort of success story, very much in a similar mould to Exeter, but very different with Pat Lamb. They've got some real quality in their squad now, haven't they? Bristol are, are fantastic contributors to the Premiership. As Exeter were reflecting, have been reflecting over the last week, it was 10 years ago that they beat Bristol to go up into the Premiership. So 10 years ago, Exeter and Bristol were both in the Championship, but now both in European finals. So quite a good argument for promotion and relegation, that, isn't it? Yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, listen, we'll look, we'll look forward to that. Bristol, as I said, taking on Toulon in the final. Well, one big talking point that we must address is Chris Robshaw and his um, stellar career, which, uh, which draws to a close at the stoop. I think he's playing his last home game for Harlequins. I think he's expected to play uh, at the weekend as well, isn't he? I think he's supposed yeah. But anyway, yes, it's his, his, yeah. his final home games tonight at the Stoop. So final home game tonight against Watts and then I think he has one last game away at, is it, at Leicester Tigers at Welford Road. He made his Premiership debut in uh, in 2007 which makes all of us feel old and went on to win the Premiership title in uh, 2012 and was named Premiership Player of the Year on two occasions and tonight is his 299th game for Harlequins, which is pretty incredible given that, barring an injury, play his 300th game at the weekend. I think he should undoubtedly go down as one of the all-time Premiership greats. Um, his, his longevity, his, his, his success, uh, as you say, player of the season, all that is part of the structure that, that, that built, has built one of, the, one of the great careers. I would also say he will, however, be uh, eternally remembered for the 2015 World Cup, which I think is a huge shame for him and is a is a massive burden he's had to carry and I think is 
unfortunate and is just the way that, that that life works that that that's that that'll be the first line on his um on his cv forever or or, or on most people's minds forever but uh, uh, as he comes to the end of the career of his career i think we and hopefully um, rugby supporters out there will put all that aside and, and and treasure him for you know his years his indefatigability did i pronounce that word right something like that you did um, yeah uh, his, his relentlessness, his bravery. I mean, I, I think he, he's, he's just been a, an absolute pillar and we should think of him that way. Yeah, here, here. I mean, a premiership great. Um, and listen, to be in the England team for as long as he was is, uh, is testament to his, uh, his longevity, uh, his ability to get up and, uh, and train and have that desire to, uh, to do that. I mean, and, and to play nearly 300 games for Harlequins because anyone who, who, uh, who thinks that, the games of rugby are just given out like uh, like confetti. Can think again. So uh, I think you know. Listen, I agree with you. He's been a been an absolute gem, and he he's clearly been getting ready for life in San Diego because it, unless it's me, his hair's been getting blonder and blonder as he's getting closer <laughs> to retirement. <laughs> so, yeah, good good use of lockdown. Yeah, he's had a good use of the old um, lemon squeezer, that's for sure. But so uh, listen, we wish him well playing against the wasps tonight uh, in his 299th game and then bring the curtain down on the most amazing career at the weekend and, and then go and enjoy San Diego. Owen, are you, uh, I mean, I mean, obviously as now our attention turns back to the Premiership, I mean, what have we got? We've got Wasps going to Harlequins. I mean, that, that battle for the uh, for the top four is still quite a significant one. I mean, Exeter are, are there and, you know, done and dusted, but uh, it's still any three places from uh, from four sides, isn't it, really? Yeah, it is, and I wonder if Bristol are at the bottom of that group of that group of five at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, uh, they need to win their games, and, and someone else to do them a favour. You know, just going back to the point I made before, Bristol are, are in the thick of a European campaign at the same time. They don't have the depth. I think they've already been exposed for not having the depth. They've got a fantastic first team, but they don't have the depth of the squad that can um, can deal with, with winning a game with your with your second team, if you like. So. I wonder if if they'll trip up somewhere. They've got uh, Leicester on on Wednesday, and then they have London Irish on Sunday. So those are both both games that that, that they could win. But of all the games that I think you want to be watching, we'll go back to Saracens again. Saracens play Bath at Alliance on Sunday, and that will be the last dance. That will be the send off for the Wigglesworths and the Barretts. Um, I don't know if Brad Barrett will be fit to play, but um, if you know, if Saracens do anything, they do it in style, don't they? They they talk about memories, and they do not want their, the last game of this squad to be the memory of defeat to Bath. So they will go all out to ruin Bath's um, playoff hopes. Yeah, I was going to say that 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 game for Bath just got it got a whole lot harder for for them. And as you say, I mean Saracens, given all the given where we started at the beginning of this ruck with. Uh, with the financial situation, I mean, they're obviously due to play rugby in the championship, but they, they don't even know whether the championship's going to go ahead next season. So, uh, you know, not only was it their last game, it could be their, you know, it could be their last game for, for 12 months. Um, so we'll keep an eye on, on how things run there. My thanks to Stephen Jones and Owen Slot. By this time next week, we'll know who joins Exeter Chiefs in the playoffs. If you've enjoyed the ruck, please leave us a review and you can subscribe on Acast, iTunes or your usual podcast provider. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.